Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Accent Training Podcast. My name is Pat. I'm your personal American accent coach. And I got something new for you today. I'm going to read you a story. A story from a book that I've been reading quite a bit lately called The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. This is a book that I recommend to anybody who's listening who is a human being and interacts with other human beings. If that sounds like you, then listen up. There are power structures on all levels of society. No matter what government or economic system you have, whether you're in the corporate boardroom or a kindergarten class, or even if you're just out for dinner with your friends, there are always games of power happening. And what it really comes down to is nobody wants less power. Everybody wants more. So if a little bit of power is what you're seeking in life. I recommend reading Robert Greene's The 48 Laws of Power. And you know what? You can actually find a link to the entire audiobook of it on YouTube in the description of this episode. Maybe YouTube will take that audiobook down someday. I don't know. But at the moment, it is up and you can listen to it. So for anybody interested, I'm going to leave a link to it in there. Now, maybe you aren't actively looking to get more power in life. I would still recommend reading this book because many of the people that you interact with are playing games of power. And this can help you understand them and protect yourself from manipulation. So why am I talking about power today? Well, the book, The 48 Laws of Power is full of these little stories. Stories about powerful people and their successes and failures applying the laws of power. I'm going to read you one of those stories. And as I read you this story, we're going to do an accent training exercise. I want you to actively listen for stop T's. Specifically, words ending in NT. What you're going to notice, if you do this, is that I usually stop the T's when words end in NT, and other times I will pronounce a true, strong T, depending on the context. So let's get into it. A story about power. Reading directly out of the book. This is Law 21 of the 48 Laws of Power. Play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. Observance of the Law In the winter of 1872, a U.S. financier, Asbury Harpending, was visiting London when he received a cable. A diamond mine had been discovered in the American West. The cable came from a reliable source, William Ralston, owner of the Bank of California. But Harpending, nevertheless, took it as a practical joke, probably inspired by the recent discovery of a huge diamond mine in South Africa. True, 
When reports had first come in of gold being discovered in the western United States, everyone had been skeptical, and those had turned out to be true. But a diamond mine in the west? Harpending showed the cable to his fellow financier, Baron Rothschild, one of the richest men in the world, saying it must be a joke. The Baron, however, replied, Don't be too sure about that. America is a very large country. It has furnished the world with many surprises already. Perhaps it has others in store. Harpending promptly took the first ship back to the States. When Harpending reached San Francisco, there was an excitement in the air recalling the gold rush days of the late 1840s. Two crusty prospectors named Philip Arnold and John Slack had been the one to find the diamond mine. They had not divulged its location in Wyoming, but had led a highly respected mining expert to it several weeks back, taking a circular route so he couldn't guess his whereabouts. Once there, the experts had watched as the miners dug up diamonds. Back in San Francisco, the expert had taken the gems to various jewelers, one of whom had estimated their value worth at $1.5 million. Harpending and Ralston now asked Arnold and Slack to accompany them back to New York, where the jeweler, Charles Tiffany, would verify the original estimates. The prospectors responded uneasily. They smelled a trap. How could they trust these city slickers? What if Tiffany and the financiers had managed to steal the whole mine out from under them? Ralston tried to allay their fears by giving them $100,000 and placing another 300000 in escrow for them. If the deal went through, they would be paid an additional $300,000. The miners agreed. The little group traveled to New York where a meeting was held at the mansion of Samuel L. Barlow. The cream of the city's aristocracy was in attendance. General George Brighton McClellan, commander of the Union forces in the Civil War. General Benjamin Butler, Horace Greenlee, editor of the newspaper of the New York Tribune, Harpending, Ralston, and Tiffany. Only Slack and Arnold the miners who had found the mine, were missing. As tourists in the city, they had decided to go sightseeing. When Tiffany announced that the gems were real and worth a fortune, the financiers could barely control their excitement. They wired Rothschild and other tycoons to tell them about the diamond mine and inviting them to share in the investment. At the same time, they also told the prospectors that they wanted one more test. They insisted that a mining expert of their choosing accompany Slack and Arnold to the site to verify its wealth. The prospectors reluctantly agreed. In the meantime, they said, they had to return to San Francisco. The jewels that Tiffany had examined, they left with Harpending for safekeeping. Several weeks later, a man named Louis Jannon, the best mining expert in the country, met the prospectors in San Francisco. Jannon was a born skeptic. 
who was determined to make sure that the mine was not a fraud. Accompanying Janin were Harpending and several other interested financiers. As with the previous expert, the prospectors led them through a complex series of cannons, completely confusing them as to their whereabouts. Arriving at the site, the financiers watched in amazement as Janin dug up the area, leveling ant hills, turning over boulders, and finding emeralds, rubies, sapphires, and most of all, diamonds. The dig lasted eight days, and by the end, Janin was convinced. He told the investors that they now possessed the richest field in mining history. With a hundred men and proper machinery, he told them, I would guarantee to send out one million dollars in diamonds every thirty days. Returning to San Francisco a few days later, Ralston, Harpending, and company acted fast to form a ten million dollar corporation of private investors. First, however, they had to get rid of Arnold and Slack. That meant hiding their excitement. They certainly did not want to reveal the field's true value. So they played possum. Who knows if Janin is right, they told the prospectors. The mine may not be as rich as we think. This just made the prospectors angry. Trying a different tactic. The financiers told the two men that if they insisted on having shares in the mine, they would end up being fleeced by the unscrupulous tycoons and investors who would run the corporation. Better, they said, to take the 700000 already offered, an enormous sum of money at the time, and put their greed aside. This the prospectors seemed to understand and they finally agreed to take the money, in return signing the rights of the site over to the financiers and leaving maps to it. News of the mine spread like wildfire. Prospectors fanned out across Wyoming. Meanwhile, Harpending and group began spending the millions they had collected from their investors, buying equipment, hiring the best men in business, and furnishing luxurious offices in New York and San Francisco. A few weeks later, on the first trip back to the site, they learned the hard truth. Not a single diamond or ruby was to be found. It was all fake. They were ruined. Harpending had unwittingly lured the richest men in the world into the biggest scam of the century. So how do you think they did it? How do you think that they fooled the richest men in the world? Remember the name of this law. Play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. You want to know how they did it? I'll read it to you. Arnold and Slack pulled off their stupendous con not by using a fake engineer or bribing Tiffany. All of the experts had been real. 
All of them honestly believed in the existence of the mine and in the value of the gems. What had fooled them all was nothing else than Arnold and Slack themselves. The two men were such rubes, such hayseeds, so naive, that no one for an instant had believed them capable of an audacious scam. The prospectors had simply observed the law of appealing more stupid than your mark, the deceiver's first command. The logistics of the con were quite simple. Months before Arnold and Slack announced the discovery of the diamond mine, they traveled to Europe where they purchased some real gems for around $12,000, part of the money they had saved from their days as gold miners. They then salted the mine, which was really just a cave, with these gems, which the first expert dug up and brought to San Francisco. The jewelers who had appraised these stones, including Tiffany himself, had gotten caught up in the fever and had grossly overestimated their value. Then Ralston gave the prospectors $100,000 as security, and immediately after their trip to New York, they simply went to Amsterdam, where they bought sacks of uncut gems before returning to San Francisco. The second time they salted the mine, there were many more jewels to be found. The effectiveness of this scheme rested not on tricks like these, but on the fact that Arnold and Slack played their parts to perfection. On their trip to New York, where they mingled with millionaires and tycoons, they played up their Claude Hopper image. Wearing pants and coats a size too short or too small and acting incredulous at everything they saw in the big city. No one believed that these country simpletons could possibly be conning the most devious, unscrupulous financiers of the time. And once Harpending, Ralston, and even Rothschilds accepted the mine's existence, anyone who doubted it was questioning the intelligence of the world's most successful businessmen. In the end, Harpending's reputation was ruined and he never recovered. Rothschilds learned his lesson and never fell for another con. Slack took his money and disappeared from view, never to be found. Arnold simply went home to Kentucky. After all, his sale of the mining rights had been legitimate. The buyers had taken the best advice. And if the mine had run out of diamonds, that was their problem. Seem dumber than your mark. Do you ever feel like people underestimate you? They underestimate your abilities? You know that you're capable of doing big things. But for whatever reason, you feel like people look at you as if you aren't capable. Law 21 of the 48 Laws of Power would say... Use that to your advantage. If someone feels like they're smarter than you, but you know that they're not, 
Let them go on thinking that. Let the results of your actions and your intelligence speak for themselves. You don't need to prove your intelligence to anyone. 